Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Let's Talk Government podcast. Today, we are going to discuss why does voting matter? I am joined by Dr. Kevin Parsnow and Dr. Fred Slocum, who are professors in the political science program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. They were guests on episode three, where we discussed Democrats and Republicans. So thank you for joining me today. So Kevin, you want to start? Why does voting matter? Okay, I, I know I threw a curveball here, but I wanted to start with talking about an argument that exists in political science that's essentially, um, let's talk about why voting may not be a good idea, may not be rational. Um, and then that should get us around to thinking about it in a different way. In other words, uh, a lot of times political scientists, when we talk about um, voting, we talk about something that's known as Downs's paradox. Uh, Anthony Downs was a famous political scientist who made this idea famous. And he essentially said that uh, it's not rational to vote because um, if you look at it from an economic, personal self-interest level, um, the idea of advancing your own self-interest through voting is not practical. It's not rational in an economic sense. What Downs did was he pointed out that indiv any individual voter has such a small chance of casting the deciding vote in any election that it doesn't really make sense for them to spend that time casting that vote. Um, so even if a candidate uh, would winning would mean that you would get like $10,000. Let's just throw that number out there. Um, and it only took like 10 minutes to vote. You still would be unlikely to cast that one vote that caused your candidate to get over the top. And so it would make more sense to just sit home, cross your fingers and hope that your candidate wins and you get the $10,000. Anyway, you spend the five, 10 minutes doing something else. Um, the reason I talk about this is because I always bring this up in my US government class. I didn't want to leave it out of this particular discussion, but the point is not to talk people out of voting or to say that you shouldn't vote. The point is that voting is inherently a social act rather than a selfish act. It's the act of being a citizen. Um, it's kind of like being part of a club or being part of a supporting a team or something along those lines, that it's a group thing, that, that there's group rewards and you should think of it as membership in a group. Um, you, with voting, you aren't just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about your fellow citizens. You're thinking about your community. You're thinking about your country. You're thinking about what's best for your country. And so the way that political scientists ultimately got around this idea that it might be irrational is to say, hey, you know, you don't just get from the vote. You, by voting, you don't just get some sort of personal reward or even just the policies you want, but just the act of voting is an expression of the idea that it feels good to be a citizen in a democracy. You are doing your part. You're being patriotic. Um, you're showing your commitment to your political beliefs or your party, if that's important to you. It's a chance to express your opinions. Um, it's kind of a small act of being part of something bigger than yourself. So that's actually the reason to think about voting rather than think you're gonna be the one casting the deciding vote that causes a candidate that's gonna get something for you um, personally. Um, 
And there's even the idea, right? People say, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Okay, um, well, if you think about it, if you just go vote, then nobody can say that to you for two years or four years, you get to complain. That's a pretty low price for being able to complain, right? And, and being able to shut those people up like, yep, I voted, I can complain. Um, <laughs> myself, and this is what I tell my students, and it's, it's true, I can bet on it, sometime in the next, sometime in November, my mom is gonna call. After every election, at some point my mom calls, she asks me if I voted, and I say, well, I mean, now, like, mom, I'm, I'm 53 years old. You don't need to call me anymore. I'm a political science professor. Yes, I voted. But I assume a lot of you will have other people ask you if you vote. And think about that future point in time. Do you want to be embarrassed? Do you want to have to tell your mom or your dad, your grandma and grandpa you didn't vote? Or do you want to say, yeah, got it. And now I'm going to go yeah. complain to some friends. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Don't want to lie so, to your relatives. Yeah. Inherently, inherently it is not rational in an economic sense but that means it's not selfish it's a social political act and thanks for letting me get that out of my system well actually that yes. leads me into my next question that i'm going to direct at fred so okay. it's it's you've got it doesn't make sense to do that but one of the other complaints about voting is why should i vote because the president is elected by electoral college can you talk about maybe the difference between the electoral college and popular vote and why we should still vote Yes, I'll do my best with that. It's, it's kind of a complex system, but um, the Electoral College um, uh, is, a, is a, a group, of, consists of a group of electors who are decided on within each state. Um, and there are 538 electors, all told. Um, and it takes, it requires 270 or more electors to be elected president. So the, so the so majority of electoral college is necessary to become president. Um, the number of electors per state ranges from three in the smallest states, um, like, you know, I think Montana is one of them, Kevin, right? So yep. um, up to 55 in California. Um, and, it's, and it's proportional to population, to the state's population. Um, and also the District of Columbia has three electoral votes and the total number of electoral votes is there is 538 uh, with 270 required to win. Um, within almost within within most states, 48 out of 50 states, the candidate who wins the popular vote within the state wins all of the electoral votes for that state. Winner take all. So you, what's called the unit rule. Um, the exceptions to that are Nebraska and Maine, um, which, um, and Nebraska has, um, Nebraska and Maine apportion some of their electoral votes by congressional district. Um, and Maine has two congressional districts, a Northern and a Southern district. And the winner of, and Maine has four electoral votes all told for statewide. And uh, two of them are apportioned, two of them go to the winner of the statewide vote. And then the uh, Northern District gets one, Northern District winner gets one electoral vote and the Southern District winner gets another electoral vote. And so there's a possibility of a split in Maine. The same applies in Nebraska, um, where there are three congressional districts and the winner of, the statewide winner gets two electoral votes for winning a state. 
and then the winner of the each of the three congressional districts gets one electoral vote per district one. So, um, and in both Maine and Nebraska, at this point, it is looking possible, significantly possible, that there will be a split in the electoral votes, um, um, especially Nebraska, um, where uh, Joe Biden is shown to be ahead in the polling in the second congressional district, which comprises the Omaha, the, the greater metropolitan Omaha area, and, um, and Donald Trump will win the other two districts. Um, and also win the state. So it's possible that Nebraska will end up with a four, with apportioning four electoral votes to Donald Trump and one to Joe Biden based on Biden winning the second district if that materializes. So, um, and, and Maine is, is a possibility also, the last polling I saw, however, showed that Joe Biden was uh, well ahead in Southern uh, Maine and slightly ahead in Northern Maine. So. Um, it's um, so all of Maine's votes may go to Biden, but um, but those two states allocate their uh, electoral votes partly by congressional district. The other 48 states are a winner take all. Um, the, whoever wins a popular vote within the state wins all the state's electoral votes. Um, and so based on those rules, okay, winner take all within 48 out of 50 states. Five, uh, 538 total electoral votes, 270 electoral votes required to win. Um, those, those, that is the deciding um, factor in, in deciding who becomes president. Well, thanks, Fred. I think, and I think what was important there is that the electoral votes for the state are based on the popular vote within the state. So that you still have right. power in voting um, because of the popular vote within the state. Yeah, and this you, is right. only for president, right? This yeah, is only for president. Yeah, for this, all, this, yeah, this does not cover con congressional elections, which are also important to, to vote in. Yeah. What were you going to say, Kevin? I, I was just going to say, yes, you don't get to directly vote for the president, but you decide who's going to win your state right. and whose people are going to go cast the votes for president. So, and yeah, and elect which party's electors. Yeah. Well, so that's that's the president, you know, that's the one that's probably the most popular in this election, the one that we have the most visibility on. But what is the impact at the federal level? If we're not worried about if we take the president out of the picture, why should we vote? What does it impact the federal level? Well, we can't take the president out of the picture. Well, well no, we need to more of more than just the president. Object yeah. to that, but, <laughs> okay. but, but in addition, in addition, you know, voting is important for um, U.S. House of Representatives and for U.S. Senate and the states that have Senate races like Minnesota does right now between uh, Tina Smith and Jason Lewis. Um, and um, so voting is, impo is important in those races as well. And we do not have a governor's race this year. We will have in tw 2022. Um, you know, Minnesota is among many states that have their governors and statewide races in odd numbered and, and I'm sorry, not odd numbered, but um, in um, even numbered years opposite to the presidential election. That is midterm, what are called midterm years, 2014, 2018, 2022. Right. I would Those say are years. At, at the federal level, particularly here in this, this part of Minnesota is House District 1. Um, 
at the for the House of Representatives seat, Minnesota District One, which is where we're at, um, it's been extremely close elections for that House seat um, between Feehan and Hagedorn last time, and then those two same guys are running again this time. Hagedorn won last time, but just prior to that, Hagedorn lost a very close election to uh, Tim Rolls, who went on to be governor. It's it's been very tight here. Um, mm -hmm. So. If you want to vote in a in a close house race in the U.S., um, you can't get closer than this one in southern Minnesota. And we also have, you know, Senate seats are hugely important. And um, there's a seat up for the Senate. And Minnesota has a tradition, even though it generally has gone along with uh, Democrats for the presidency. Um, we've had some awfully close Senate races, including mm -hmm. a recount. I think it was 2008. Fred can correct me if I'm wrong. Two, yeah, uh, it ended up being resolved in 2009, you know, Franken, with Al yeah. Franken with uh, just a few hundred votes. Yeah, so, just uh, 312 votes decided the, the uh, Senate race between uh, Franken and... Uh, yep. It, yeah. it came down to a recount and it, it was close. There was a lot of... A lot of I think it was Mark Coleman, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it yeah. was insanely close, yeah. So literally every vote counted in that one then. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, they count all votes anyway, but... <laughs> and recounted it, obviously, well, too. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. If if you were a Minnesotan, and, and I, I voted in Minnesota that year, if you were a Minnesotan and you hadn't voted for your favorite candidate and you really cared between Franken and Coleman a great deal, you'd have been sweating if you hadn't gone because you thought, oh, my Lord, what if it came down to just a couple of votes? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then in 2010, okay, there was a Minnesota governor's race um, where um, Mark Dayton prevailed over Tom Emmer. Um, what was it by 3,000 something votes? I think mm -hmm. like um, it was it was a very small margin statewide. Yeah, it was very, very close. Especially when you look at the population in Minnesota, it's what, five and a half million? So just 3,000 votes is small. Well, Fred, yeah. you kind of led us into the next level. So we talked about the impact of voting at the federal level. Uh, what's the impact of voting at the state level? Besides governor, what else do we vote for? Why would the votes matter about that? Well, state house and state senate, um, in years when they happen, this current year, 2020, uh, state senators are on the ballot state senate seats are on the ballot so i say and also state house seats are also on the ballot um every state representative is elected to a two-year term and that is an even numbered years their their elections are an even numbered years um and so um that that is mem members of the minnesota state house um and there are 134 of them um and the current, uh, the House district that um, includes Mankato is District 19B. And the district that includes North Mankato and St. Peter is 19A. And then also our area is within State Senate District 19. Um, and our, um, and this year, the State Senate, all State Senators are up for re-election re this year, election or re-election this year and all state house members also. The governor is not, however, the governor will be up for election or re-election in 2022. And, and if you wanna add a little bit more of a twist to it, I don't know how exciting this is, but <clears throat> in all the other states, 
Minnesota is the, the only state, I believe, since the last election in 2018, where one chamber is controlled by one party and the other chamber is controlled by the other at the state level. So the, 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 the Minnesota House is controlled by Democrats and it's a really close margin for the Minnesota Senate, which is controlled by Republicans. Minnesota is the only state like this. So if you want, if you want to be like teetering on the balance of <laughs> control of state government besides the governor's office, um, that's up for grabs. And I think, I, I mean, I don't know how much other people in other states are going to be paying that close attention to it, but it's the kind of thing that political scientists like to look at. And if you're in Minnesota, you get to be part of that too. So that's yeah. our, that's but our, only if you, but only if you vote. Right. <laughs> so that's our legislative um, elections at the state level. What else do we vote on at the state level then? Besides governor, we've got um, legislation. What about well, judicial? There are, uh, there are other statewide offices, but they're elected in um, not this year. Um, they're elected in um, midterm years, even numbered years that are not this year, that do not include this year. But that would include attorney general for the state, for the state of Minnesota, uh, secretary of state, and um, a state auditor. Um, but those, are, those will be up in 2022. But this this year you have local elections with it depends on where you live you're going to have school boards yeah. you're going to have mayoral races city councils um and and i think i think pat you may have mentioned this earlier um but it is true right okay i would it would it would be super exciting to cast the deciding ballot in a senate race or you know really close but a local election is really one where you and a couple dozen of your friends could go out and and actually change who wins, right? right? For a school board election or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you can only do that by voting. It's still very unlikely, but by helping your favorite candidate or at least voting, um, those local races have so few voters. It just increases the it increases any one person's influence on them. Yeah, so correct. Local lo local races have generally have low voter turnout. Um, and um, so your impact is magnified, you know, to the extent that you vote in those local races. That's true. So let me ask about the impact of voting for judges, you know, the judicial branch at the state level and local level. They're on the mm -hmm. ballots. I mean, why is it important that people vote in those races as well? Well, the, the, um, you know, judge, not all judges are on the ballot every election cycle, but it's generally a... Um, you know, some judges are up for retention, and uh, one of them is, uh, you know, what's called retention elections, um, is a system where a judge gets appointed to the court, in this case, the Minnesota Supreme Court, um, by the governor, and, um, and then has to stand for retention generally, I think every 10 years, as it is in Minnesota. Um, and currently the judge up for retention election is Paul Thiessen, T-H-I-S-S-E-N. Um, um, and, um, and, and he is up for retention this, this election cycle. So, um, and he was appointed by governor, um, I think, I'm not sure if it was, if it was Walls or Dayton actually, but um, 
but he was appointed to the court initially to the state Supreme court. And, and now he is standing for retention. Um, and if he is retained, um, he will serve another 10 years on the court and then be up for retention um, as well. Um, and I have not seen any other state court, Supreme court justices who are up for retention at this point. Um, I've yeah, only yeah. gotten literature about the Tyson race. So, but he does have a challenger. So, it, so voting if they if people elected the challenger, um, then she could take his position, right? Mm -hmm. That would that would uh, I mean they they stand very different on their views of the role of the court. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, that that if she were to win, that would be a major change. Everybody gets excited about the federal judges and the Supreme Court. Well, the Minnesota Supreme Court is probably more important to any individual Minnesotan because your case is not going to wind up in the Supreme Court of the United States if you have an issue in Minnesota. So it's really important. I mean, it's, it's an important post. We focus because it gets all the attention on like a, you know, uh, Coney Barrett replacing Bader Ginsburg and so forth. Um, but the election you actually get to vote on judges um, you can just mm -hmm. think of yourself as a U.S. senator voting mm -hmm. at the state level on this one on this one election. Um, highly recommend going and looking at the differences between uh, Thiessen and um, I can't remember McDonald. I'm sorry, McDonald. Yeah, Michelle McDonald. Yeah, the name slipped my mind. McDonald is the challenger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that is important because state supreme courts can make rulings that are more narrow than the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, they've done it in the past, um, especially, well, I know because of law enforcement related items. All right. So obviously it is important to vote. So how does, how does we do here in the upper Midwest in Minnesota for voter turnout? Do people go vote or don't they vote and why? They do go vote. And, and here in Minnesota, um, the, the, historical pattern has been that Minnesota has the highest voter turnout of any state in the U.S. I, yeah, I mean, I'm the, I'm the highest voter turnout of any state. Um, and I, you know, back when I, you know, I don't teach U.S. government anymore, but I've highlighted this fact in, you know, in the past when I taught U.S. government, you know, from 2015 and before, um, Minnesota has the highest voter turnout of any state in the country. Um, due to what's called a moralistic uh, political subculture, um, which is identified by historian Daniel Elzar, who was born in Minnesota, by the way, and, and grew up in Minneapolis. Um, and, um, but he noted that, um, that the moralistic subculture encourages voter turnout by emphasizing that voter turnout is a civic, is a citizen or civic duty. Um, and, um, Minnesota, more than any other state, um, in part because of the Scandinavian uh, culture, um, you know, uh, you know, due to, the, due to Minnesota's history as being, um, you know, products of German and Scandinavian immigrants, has emphasized voter turnout as a civic duty and kind of a communitarian uh, principle, if you will, and. Um, and Minnesota has emphasized voter turnout more than any other state and has demonstrated it over time. And related to that, Minnesota has also among the highest uh, percentage states in uh, census turnout, um, in a, returning the census. In 2010, Wisconsin was the highest uh, 
turnout state and census and census participation, but Minnesota was close, right behind, just like a couple of tenths of a percentage point. And so I think that's part of that civic duty um, notion. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, that's all, that's, I, that Daniel Elazar stuff is really fascinating um, mm -hmm. to think about it because it, it's not just, it's not just about immigration, but it's then the people that follow after the initial immigrants. Um, mm -hmm. the, the thing that's interesting to me, I, I moved here from Montana and now it's been 20 years, but Montanans, we usually wound up being about fifth or sixth on the list. And I think Minnesota has been number one every single year I was here. And I, I, I knew enough people in Montana that I think we imagined that we might turn out in high enough levels to, to catch up to a state like Minnesota. Now that I live here, I, I don't think that's going to happen because you know, there, there will be, you'll hear news stories on election day, uh, you know, in a normal election. It would be like, uh, some old lady in Edina couldn't vote today. We're all very upset. Someone called the secretary of state. You know, they, this is a big thing in Minnesota. And I used to think that it was just that I agree, Fred, about the, the civic mindedness. But sometimes I think Minnesotans vote in such high numbers so that they can they can beat Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, and if, if that's the case, we're, you know, we're having a different election year because of the pandemic. And, you know, Minnesota wins under normal conditions, but is Minnesota going to win with the pandemic? I, I suspect they will. I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't even bigger. Of a victory. I think the state's political culture will. Yeah. I mean, but, we, but we still, have not, you know, every state has experienced increases in, you know, COVID-19 this fall, but I, I don't think, I suspect that's not going to materially influence Minnesota's position as the number one voting turnout state in the country. Um, uh, I think the political culture of the state is going to prevail and um, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but, um, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and, um, and uh, be threatened with sawing, with having that sawed off if I'm wrong. <laughs> All right, so my political scientist, I'm going to ask for your opinion here as we're kind of wrapping this up. So how do you think nationwide, we know Minnesota has a really good history, but how do you think nationwide um, the voting and elections are going to be impacted by COVID, by more early voting, mail-in voting versus people showing up at polling places? Why don't you give me your opinion on it here? Um, I, I mean, it was, it was hard to guess, but as as numbers are coming in, states are setting records for early voting and absentee balloting, which you'd expect since that's been a main promoted thing. Um, but the numbers are so large, they're even larger than they're expecting. So I think somewhere about 138 million people voted in 2016. Um, and I, but I think uh, estimates I've heard people think 140 to 160 million voters nationwide this year um, so like think of 150 as the average and that's a substantial increase that that's more than you can account for by population. Um, yeah, based on population are, increase. Yeah, go ahead. And I, yeah. and I wonder if to some degree absentee balloting getting so much focus and people having time before the election to do things is not going to overall increase voter turnout just on the idea that, you know, 2018, 2016, a lot of people probably thought, oh, I'm going to go vote. I'm going to go vote. And then on election day, who knows, you know, what something at work, 
uh, you know, something with family. Long day at work, yeah, and it may interfere. And they just didn't think, go. But yeah, a lot of those I think they already banked their votes beforehand. Right. What were you? What do you think, Fred? I think absentee and mail-in voting gives, uh, you know, is it's, it is absolutely unprecedented level this year um, compared to previous election cycles, you know, pre-COVID. Um, and <laughs> it is giving people, I think, a, an additional avenue to voting um, that, you know, the, the traditional avenue was go to the polling place on election day, you know, um, and, you know, vote absentee or, um, you know, only in rare cases, but we're seeing unprecedented levels of mail voting um, and absentee ballot voting now. Um, and um, I, do, I, I also want to f spotlight on what's called the um, blue shift. Um, the, um, <clears throat> what, what's, what's, what seems a significant possibility in many states is that um, absentee and um, early voting will favor the Democrats um, and election day voting will favor the re Republicans um, in part because of the culture of hostility towards uh, mask wearing and, um, you know, and denial of uh, uh, coronavirus that is prominent, that is prominent among the, on the political right today. Um, that, um, and, uh, you know, the, the sense that, you know, coronavirus is all a hoax, it's a liberal, you know, effort to destroy Donald Trump and defeat him and so on. But um, so I, I, I suspect that election day voting uh, in person will probably favor re Republicans in many states. However, um, pre-election day voting, absentee and by mail um, may favor Democrats. And so it will be interesting to see you know how that um, plays out um, right. on you know um, you know do those two factors um, to what extent do they um, countervail each other? Yeah. So, yeah, well, so on, on election yeah. day, the counts on election day might make it look like Donald Trump has a slight lead, but then as absentee ballots come in, I mean, as absentee, absentee ballots, ballots are likely to be counted later. Is one mm -hmm. of yeah, and those might wind up making. Joe Biden. I think the main thing is just wait till they're all counted. You may not know on election night like usual. Mm -hmm. um, no. The old tradition of watching Tim Russert with his blue markers and things. Yeah. That's even Yeah, that it. may be a thing of the past. <laughs> you know, it, it may take some days to to sort out the outcome of the presidential race. And and Trump knows this. You know, he's been he's been saying basically uh, count only the ballots that are, you know, count only the votes that are available up to a certain point on election night and declare so he can declare himself the winner. Um, but. Um, well, don't yeah. worry. I'm going to bring both of you back to talk about examining election results after the votes are done and we should have a fun conversation then. I, I know. I just hope it's not, I hope it's not so soon that we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have to adjust our, our schedule to record, but thank you both for saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, well, thank you both for talking about why voting matters. And like I said, I definitely will have these two back talking about examining election results. So. Can I, can I add one thing mm -hmm. before we go? Yes, go ahead. Um, just one of the things that really has always been on my mind is, especially back when I was in college and um, at that time, Ronald Reagan was president. Um, 
But if you ever talk to older people about voting, people are so happy to tell you things like, I voted for FDR, or I voted for Eisenhower, or I voted for Reagan. And the person doesn't even have to win. I mean, I've heard old people talk about, oh, I voted for McGovern, right? Or, or Wellstone, if you want to get at the state level. Um, and people have fond memories of having done that, right? Okay. So you might want to think of yourself in the future and think, do I want to be the person that was able to say this, right? And, and that, that is what influences me on it. So I'm, I, thanks for the extra time, Pat. I just had to put that in. That's great. No, I agree. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash let's talk gov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.